Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Emily Krushenko. I first came across Emily's work when I read a blog post they had made about the seductions of anorexia. Emily is a writer, coach and researcher about bodies, minds and health and joins me today to discuss the blog they made on the seductions of anorexia. Reading through this blog I couldn't believe how much someone else could understand and I'm really excited to discuss it today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited um, to go through the article that you wrote. I got sent it by uh, a friend of mine, Harriet, and I was like, oh, wow, this this has knocked every single nail on the head. It's amazing. Thank you. Well, I appreciate those kind <laughs> words and also the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think it's really interesting. It always boggles my mind how, you know, anorexia is both a mental and a physical health condition um but almost the you know the seductions that you wrote about how not not everybody but how people can feel the same because I think when you think of maybe more of a you know an illness I don't know like diabetes the symptoms we can kind of point back to like the um the biology and stuff like that but I find it fascinating with the way that anorexia makes you feel and how how that is so similar between a lot of people but it's you know it's not something that we can necessarily track biologically yeah I think you can do a pretty good job of tracking it biologically and behaviorally um you think you know the, a vast weight of the symptoms of what we consider anorexia nervosa for example can um be understood as symptoms simply of of starvation um mm-hmm. And by a vast way, I don't mean all, but you, you can you can do quite a large part of the explanatory job that way, I think. Um, and and that that does I think it's important to to take into account the behavioural as well as the the biological. I mean, obviously the two are are closely intertwined. But if we're thinking about what goes wrong, yeah, sure, it might be losing weight, it might be all the hormonal and um, neurotransmitter and other things that go wrong but but intrinsic to how that happens is that behaviors are getting dysfunctional and um and the ways in which they do it are not typically very varied i mean there's some subsets but um they're, they're quite boring and predictable for the most part so um yeah it's, it's kind of it's always interesting to make those comparisons with something like diabetes as you say that, that may seem sort of simpler in some senses but I think and, and maybe this relates to something that we'll, we'll touch on with respect to the seductions I think it mm. I think we're all at risk of being seduced by our own stories and mm-hmm. and our stories often like to make things more complicated and kind of interesting than they actually are <laughs> so anyway that's something we can come back to yeah I as you were saying that it kind of it made me think about one of the um seductions that we will come on to but that kind of 
the anorexia is a halo making you feel special like it you're special for having this and and it's different to everybody else um and that is how it seduces you to stick around when actually it's not that different mm. um so with that in mind if we start with the first seduction um that you wrote about um in your article so the title was anorexia as an anesthetic making everything else matter less so what did that mean to you where did that point come from yeah i think the essence of this is something like the closing down of the world that the experienced world that often happens in experience of anorexia and i often think back to a comment that my aunt made late on in my illness and she was I didn't I wasn't particularly close to her we hadn't talked often about my illness but we were walking along a beach in Devon and she she got frustrated about something gloomy that I'd said about oh I don't know what I'm going to do next after I've finished my PhD or whatever it was and said Emily for god's sake your your life is just doing this and she she made a gesture of um fingertips tapering towards a tiny point of nothing and it should be doing this and then she opened out her hands to encompass the whole horizon and I guess you know that's that's a lot of the difference that this first seduction is about it's if you narrow your world your world down to a point then yeah sure that's miserable but it's also it means that by definition, you're not caring about all that complicated, messy stuff that's outside that tiny point. And you know that that has that simplicity has a has an aesthetic quality. I think so. Yeah, it's um, you decide on a very small set of things that are going to count, that are going to matter to you, and you write off all the rest. And then yeah, you can be anaesthetized to the rest. <laughs> And I think it's very common, isn't it? You know, I think we've spoken about this on the podcast before in that often anorexia will come when somebody is in a vulnerable position and, and maybe there's other things going on in, in life. And actually just being able to focus on food and body and things like that, it, you know, all those other things that you needed to think about in life, all of a sudden you just don't think about them because one, you've not got enough energy to think about them. And then also, it feels like the food and the body kind of matters more than everything else. And I remember um, a few weeks ago, my friend um, who previously had anorexia and, and is now in recovery said, you know, your life becomes so small, like you're saying, because all you kind of think about is what's the next meal? How much do I weigh? You know, all of those things. And you don't have the energy to go traveling or be spontaneous and go out for food with friends. So you just kind of become a little shell of, of who you were and it, you know nothing else matters you almost don't have the capacity to even think oh I would like to do that thing that I could do with my friends I don't think until you maybe come to recovery when you then start to decide on what you do want and even then everything feels very encompassed by food and body because you're in recovery yeah, and and yet I think it's important to get back to the you know the benefits of all this. If we're talking about seductions, you know what is seductive about this? 
because um, mm. it sounds rubbish to have none of these options open to you. Mm -hmm. and so, so, so what is what is appealing about that? Well, yeah, I guess it's just how unpleasant a lot of things in the world are. And I, I think for me, actually, this was one of the the longest lasting ways that I could still kind of transport myself back into thinking all the anorexic stuff is a good idea is just gosh the world is just full of such abominable things happening every single second how on earth can one be in possession of one's full faculties and even just slightly informed about the world and cope you know how do you how, how can one retain sanity under such conditions um and you know starving yourself into just not being able to care is is one response to that um i mean like all of them the, these responses it doesn't work well or for long <laughs> but um you know it, it does that job and um uh, and so i think if we're trying to understand all of these dynamics well then yeah we have to we have to stay a moment with 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 what's the payoff here before we we leap to yeah well why is it such an awful idea after all yeah well, i mean i think that's why it holds on for so long really isn't it it's mm. i think it's like you say it's being realistic about the seductions and being honest about them because i think often like you say we do jump to the oh well actually it's awful because of x y and z um but there's a reason why people stay in it for so long um and and these are all that and it's it not made me laugh at all but i was just thinking about the other day um and i said to my partner i was like it's really strange isn't it at the moment like i swear since rishi sunak um became prime minister like nothing has happened i swear like he's just like a really quiet prime minister and and my partner was like mm, yeah quite, quite a lot has happened and that moment i'd realized I'd not been listening to the news. I'd not been listening to podcasts. I'd literally not been engaging in the world outside of my front door in terms of the news because I just shut down from it all. And it was it was a real like because I genuinely thought that he just was doing nothing. <laughs> and I was like, he's not really <laughs> prime minister, is he? <laughs> yeah, and I do think there are some great reasons to not engage with much news. And I think probably most of us should be a lot more selective, certainly about when in our day we put news and why and what we do with, you know, the information that we gather by whatever means. But yeah, I guess what you're getting at is, is not knowing that you're making that choice to um, selectively inform yourself. You're just kind of assuming that there's nothing going on because he's, uh, he's, he's not very creative. <laughs> yeah. There I am uh, calling out Rishi Sunak and actually, yeah. Uh... Well, he is doing some stuff, but we won't go into that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important thing. And it's almost, I think, with the anaesthetic as well, what it made me think of was I always use the word numb, like just feeling completely numb from it all. And that is a very freeing experience. I think, you know, if there are difficult emotions going on or challenging times in your life, it's always been for me what I have leaned into because like you said, it just it just kind of takes you away from it. Um, but equally, like you said, it doesn't last a very long time. And one question I wanted to ask you was kind of before we go on to the to the next one is do you think there's like a 
a staging of like you know you have one seduction and then it moves on to the other or for you and for people that you've chatted to is it like they all coexist at once I mean I guess it could vary for people interested Mm. yeah I think it probably starts with one dominating and you know which one it is will depend on all kinds of personality and contextual factors and then the others will kind of creep in as added benefits and tighten the noose if you like by presenting themselves as well as great reasons to keep doing this uh so i'd I'd guess it would be a sort of you know narrowish way in and then kind of that, that spreading uh deception if you like afterwards but yeah i don't know what what your experience would be or what your hunch would be there that's what i would say as well i think it's almost um in a sense where in in a similar sense to how um you know certain behaviors will not have as big an impact anymore so you feel like you have to do more of a certain behavior or you might have to add in more behaviors to get that same feeling that you enjoyed at the start I think it's the same with the seductions it's kind of like you know you have that anesthetic and then you maybe realize hmm not quite numbing everything anymore uh, and you maybe realize that it, that it isn't the answer to your problems and then it's like well actually we also got this other thing uh that we can do uh, so it's like slowly you know tying you in not giving you everything all at once um which is i think an interesting thing as well and that that then prolongs kind of your and you also maybe prolong um your expectations of what's going to come next it almost like builds that sort of oh well we had that and then we had that so i wonder what could be if we keep on kind of engaging in these behaviors yes if we're using the um the seduction you know the relationship Mm -hmm. metaphor then yeah it keeps you hanging on hanging around for longer waiting to uh, keeping believing that the way this works brilliantly is just around the corner and um yeah people give many people give many years or even decades to um what they might be able to quite readily see in a an emotional relationship context for example be readily able to recognize as um as misguided and um yeah deeply sort of self-deceptive of kind of i can i can make this work i can change the person (laughs) Um, it can it can be fine for me where it wouldn't be for anyone else um and yeah so that was that was one of the primary motivations behind writing this post i suppose was just coming up hard against yet again that observation of gosh how does it how does it do this you know how does it pull off that conjuring trick of making so many of the people who suffer from it think that they want to keep suffering from it for so long and um yeah this is only of course part of an answer but um six parts of an answer if we do all six of the instructions but um yeah it's interesting I think it is fascinating and one thing that I've been reflecting on in my own recovery is um 
this okay i'm gonna try and say how i mean it and it might not come out how i mean it but hopefully you can understand what i'm saying so when you have the eating disorder there's all the kind of seductions and it's telling you these things you know that life will be better engaging in the eating disorder um and so i'm going to talk about this from my perspective i listen to it and i engage in it and i find it very difficult to break away from it because it feels so true and the consequences of not engaging it feel so ginormous i don't even want to kind of you know i don't want to go there what i find really interesting is that and i mean this in the nicest way possible but that is all in my head there is nobody physically out there saying you know this is what's going to happen however my the people that i love most in my life and you know clinicians trained professionals are saying this isn't the answer and you know you know my family we're upset by this you know um there's the chance of you know losing relationships losing your health all of this they are like physical beings that you trust that are telling you that what i can't wrap my head around is why i am so very happy to listen to the eating disorder but not the people that are physical beings that i love do you have any thoughts on that well i suppose maybe part of it is that yes there's a sense in which the eating disorder is a voice you know is a sort of semi or more than semi personified perspective on things and in that sense you know it's a perspective that you can line up against massive you know a doctor or a trend or whoever and um you can do your bits of assessment of their relative reliability and you should come out on the perspective of probably friends more trustworthy but also anorexia isn't just that it's also a whole cascade of of behavioral patterns that are by now deeply deeply ingrained um behavioral and biological and psychological um so it's not quite as simple as saying well the anorexic voice is less trustworthy than my mother's voice or whatever it's also then about taking the corresponding action and this is also something that i find fascinating and i've written a bit about the the gap between insight and action and how it can seem to be so wide and also persist for decades even though once you start taking little steps across it you start to realize actually oh, it's a bit perhaps a bit narrow than i thought but you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of hard prolonged um, non-linear kind of work that goes into changing daily routines mm. in a way that generates the the corresponding generates the outcome that corresponds to okay anorexic voice not reliable um so yeah you can you can get as far as that realization but then you've got to do a year's worth of eating loads let's say <laughs> and at any point in that year it's or in that you know however long it's very easy to uh to to lose your nerve and these seductions are part of what can um can bring you back to well in the short term it's more comfortable and seems to be safer or whatever to uh to eat less let's say
Yeah. So that's, I think, that's, part of the asymmetry. I think that's a really good point. And I think often the reason why, in my mind, I think, oh, you know, why can't you just listen to your loved ones rather than the eating disorder is that often when you kind of think about the things that your loved ones are asking you to do, like eat more and recover from the eating disorder and stuff, when they say it, it seems so simple because they don't have the eating disorder and eat. And they also they can eat their three meals a day and have snacks and whatever and feel safe around food. So it almost makes it out to be a smaller thing than what's actually needed. And then, like you say, it's it's got to be a long term change. And we all know, you know, when we look at New Year's resolutions, as humans, we struggle to change our habits and it takes a lot of persistence to do it. And I think because then you've got the seductions of the eating disorder coming in all the time telling you you know, just come back like you said like this is it's easier over here it's safer it does then make it very challenging to keep battling that and I think that's another thing in that you don't constantly I mean I don't personally have your loved ones every moment of the day going eat 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 get better get better get better but for me the eating disorder is constantly there saying don't eat don't eat don't eat as that voice so the next kind of seduction that you spoke about um, was anorexia as a Rosetta Stone, so giving you ready-made meaning. What was the thought behind that one? The thought here is about the blessed relief of just not having to ask complicated questions. So you can take some really sort of straight out of the box dead simple structural support for meaning making in your life and you can just forget about everything else that might come in because these ones definitely matter more and yeah it, it's closely related of course to the anesthetic in the sense of the alternatives being overwhelming often um and i guess the extent of the overwhelm of being a human in the 21st century is part of the reason why such manifestly poor meanings keep presenting themselves as decent and you know can keep doing that for years or decades as we said um so yeah it's kind of i mean i guess it's that human tendency to love not doing difficult things um you know there's there's all i think here maybe a distinction between between hard and difficult is is maybe useful I, I've often found the distinction between simple and easy very important in, in the recovery context because a lot of it is dead simple. That doesn't make it easy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think the distinction between hard and difficult is also relevant. So fretting about calories in and out, um, exercising until you're exhausted, all, all of these things have hard elements to them. They're upsetting, they're demeaning, they're exhausting and so on but they're not difficult <laughs> they're pretty damn simple um you know let me add up some numbers <clears throat> let me add up some numbers let me dictate my life by them and so you know if you've got the inexpressible complexity of the universe on one hand and you've got let me count bmi calories etc on the other well you know that kind of cop out is kind of understandable um especially if the side effects of taking that route are also you get some social admiration um for the you know, weight loss if that happens, um, for the perceived control and so on, um, and the other benefits that we're talking about with the other seductions. 
So, you know, that those things kind of um, hook onto each other and, uh, and support the initial benefit. Um, so, yeah, that's the being seduced view. And then I guess the other is who on earth would keep choosing calorie questions over real questions? Like, I don't know, how can I make this planet a little bit better before I die? Um, but, you know, it, there is, there is an, an ease there, but, or rather a simplicity there, not an ease. But um, it's, it sustains itself for a while. I think that really links nicely into the anaesthetic one for me in terms of, like you said, you just don't really have to make those big decisions because there are no big decisions because it's it's the smaller things that are related to eating. But even then, it's all your decisions around, just all your decisions are made for you. You know, what lunch, like this is what you have for your lunch and this is how many calories it is, um, you know you want to go out for dinner with your friends well you can't because you've you've not got the calories left anymore so you don't even need to decide whether you're tired and you actually want to and you don't want to go or whether you actually do want to go it just takes everything kind of from you and I think one thing I've noticed is when I do start to try and recover a little bit is my indecisiveness is so overwhelming um I've almost lost that ability to make a decision um and so that again is really seductive to go back because it's like well you know you don't need to make the decision about going out for lunch and what you're going to have and weigh up all the pros and cons of it because we've already made the decision that you're just not going to go or you're going to have this one particular thing that is definitely going to be safe um so i think it it's again it just takes away all the complexity of life away because you have such a mundane monotonous life that to the outside perspective may seem really boring but to somebody that can't kind of manage those emotions or those decisions because they just feel too much it's great to just kind of be given a rule book and you know read from there yeah and i think what you say about the point where you throw away the rule book and how overwhelming that can be is is, is very important here and mm -hmm. and it ties into Something I was thinking as I reread this blog post earlier, which is how much how much of these dynamics can be explained in terms of feedback loops, um, particularly positive feedback, where uh, the feedback is is self reinforcing. You know, the output comes back in and it intensifies the original signal. So in in this case, um, you know, it's been so long that since you've actually asked any of the questions that you just don't know how to anymore mm -hmm. or in the anesthetic case it's been so long since you uh, developed invented practiced other forms of gentle anesthesia let's say that you just have no clue what any other ones might be mm -hmm. um, and that does make initially taking the way out very very difficult um, to the point where it can seem so difficult that you assume you should give up because it should always be this difficult mm -hmm. um, so yeah the you know the the more you the more you weaken body and mind by pretending that there are no other options the more it it becomes true that indeed you aren't capable of any other options because you know those muscles are so atrophied if you like um and yeah that that can become terribly self-fulfilling um mm. you know you you prove to yourself in those 
let's say, difficult first weeks or months of recovery, that it is indeed awful uh, not having the ready-mades. And then, uh, yeah, well, we all have to be right, don't we? <laughs> so, so then, <laughs> you know, point proven, let's go back to, to the old ways. So yeah, it takes it takes a certain kind of I guess zoomed out perspective to recognise this is just a phase. You know, I haven't. Of course, there's a vacuum where all these coping mechanisms or just ways of being stable in the world should be. It's going to take me time to build up that repertoire, um, and I've got to you know go with it as much as I can. Just surf the overwhelm until then. Um, keep eating and doing the basics that will be strengthening in me in the meantime. But yeah, it's, it can be hard to remind oneself of sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? In that recovery, especially at this, the initial stage, like you say, can be so difficult. And so when you're experiencing that and trying to put yourself in a position where, you know, recovery will progress, it can feel so difficult when it's like you just come back because it was fine over here realistically it wasn't fine but it it felt fine because like I said everything else was numbed and I think that really nicely links into the next seduction that you put in that anorexia is a gold star um giving you the top marks in the little things because you not everybody but a lot of people describe you know the sorts of characteristics that they have personally when they have anorexia is that perfectionistic kind of style of thinking and and wanting to be the best you know a lot of high achievers and determined individuals and so when you have been so good at following the rules that have been provided to you and you've not had to worry about anything else you've been really good at following those rules and then all of a sudden you try and break those rules and you're no longer top of the class, but there's still everybody, it still feels like there's so many people around you that are still engaging in that. So you then compare yourself to them and it's like, oh, well, they're still, you know, they're still getting top marks. They're still engaging, they're better than you. And it's so difficult at that point to see that actually kind of not focusing on those little things that at the time feel so important and focusing on, like you say, the bigger picture of recovery, that's actually kind of, where you want to end up and that's the kind of that should be a gold star but it's you your brain cannot twist and it probably shouldn't twist I want to be perfect in recovery because I don't think that's probably a uh, healthy mindset to have either um but it, yeah I think all those little things that you've been getting ticks for and now you're getting crosses can make you feel very overwhelmed and you've no longer got that anesthetic to kind of soothe those emotions Mm. Yeah, and and other kinds of big picture. I mean, recovery, as you say, is one kind of, of bigger picture, but the others that are going to open up for you by virtue of continuing with this, like um, being able to, let's say, think creatively rather than simply uh, submit documents with few typos um, or, you know, whatever else it is that uh, is, is being supported by that very detailed focus and lacking an overview kind of thinking that anorexia encourages or is constituted by. Um, yeah, it, it's so easy to, I guess, convince yourself that those 
those aspects of the bigger picture don't really exist for you or never could or that you don't care about them and maybe you don't i mean not everyone has to care about the same things and um and i guess if you know if you rely if you have a job and like having a job that requires intensive attention to detail i don't know maybe um being half starved is a uh is strategic in some senses but um well i guess if you zoom out far enough then it probably always looks like a bad decision at some point um but yeah i do i do i do think that there's a gendered aspect to this as well um when i was rereading it earlier this, this jumped out at me i think that um that women have over the millennia typically been praised more for the little things and encouraged to care more about the little things than men have and um we've colluded in that as well to some extent but um the the kinds of physical and kind of intellectual crippling that have been um perpetuated upon women by men uh are often about they're they're often kind of softened or sweetened by um you know the the compliments on how well they're aging or uh on how pretty they look in that dress or whatever it might be and you know so there is a if we're thinking about big pictures then feminism is is one of its dimensions yeah i think that's a kind of a really interesting point in terms of how it's almost uh, placed in society as well and again that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like you know why do you continue to listen to something in your head rather than what's kind of being taught to you outside but actually if we think about that a lot of the things that an eating disorder will say or will kind of want you to do they those thoughts have come from outer society and kind of been internalized which makes sense as to them why they're so strong and why people listen to them because you know you you do actually hear them externally and i think often i don't know this for other people but for me it's always been people that i don't know their opinion of me mattered so much more than my family and close friends and so i've always felt that as a massive driver for the eating disorder was you know random joe blobs in the gym getting a compliment from them on weight loss or how my body was looking was so much more than somebody that was close to me because ultimately they love you for different characteristics but when an eating disorder is so image driven that's a really interesting point in that the eating disorder is probably just internalized all the things that you've heard externally and whether that's in the workplace and being congratulated by your manager for you know like you said the attention to detail or whatever or comments that other people make about their bodies there's a systematic gulf between the ways in which females have been treated as objects uh, socially and legally and so on and the way in which that's then tied into the kind of um self-diminishment that we see so uh, so profoundly in anorexia um the making yourself small is um it's not accidentally uh, you know part of this and part of this great swathe of um uh, of types of oppression and self-oppression um so yeah i'm just reading a book um 
called The Song of Achilles by Madeleine Miller. Um, and it's a sort of uh, fictionalized treatment of um, uh, a whole bunch of sort of Greek mythology and uh, beautiful sort of limpid prose and evocation of uh, the sort of landscapes of ancient Greece and so on. But also, uh, yeah, it's fiction, but um, just such strong but casual evocations of just yeah women being bartered and being simply objects and mm-hmm. uh and uh machines for you know, creating more humans um so yeah i guess this this probably links in with um with the hunger strike seduction of you know when when you feel like the social rules that are open to you are simply not the one not roles that you're willing to inhabit then this is one way to check out yeah absolutely and i think you know with that in terms of making women's bodies objects it's always been that you know smaller is better and smaller will be more loved and more praised and i think at the end of the day that's kind of all what we're aiming for isn't it is to feel accepted to feel cared for um and to feel loved and i think that nicely links in with the next seduction um, of anorexia as a halo making you feel special and I think it's not just that the eating disorder makes you feel special um, because it's something that you're good at something that you can do something that you can tick those boxes like we were saying with the top marks but I think you mentioned it earlier in that a lot of the behaviours are glorified in society and will you know get that positive reinforcement from people so if you're able to you know go to the gym more often or skip a meal or whatever you are you are superior at the end of the day um i was literally listening to the off menu podcast yesterday um which i absolutely love and adore so i'm not kind of putting any negativity to it but um they ask for people that haven't listened, which totally should go and listen because it's hilarious. Um, they go through kind of what would your dream um, starter, main dessert, and some other things thrown there as well. And the guy that was on said, uh, well, for, for dessert, I would initially skip it because obviously that would make me feel so much better than everybody else because they'd all be eating their desserts and, and I'd be sat there being superior because I didn't have a dessert and that made me better than everybody else. And then a few hours later, I would drive home and I'd go to the petrol station on the way home and I'd grab a dessert there and go and eat that on my own. And I just thought, wow like the fact that something like that would make you feel so superior but i was like it's completely true you know it, you only have to look at um you know ladies at lunch and say oh no i won't have dessert oh are you going to have dessert i won't and it is that i'm better than you because i'm not having it yeah i thought you were going to to make the sort of more obvious illustration which which relates to men and women having desserts which is uh yeah man orders knowing that woman is going to take half of it because she doesn't dare mm-hmm. or whatever to order her own bloody yeah. dessert so then you know there's that whole dynamic as well but it's completely acceptable for him to order the dessert and eat it on his own but not for her to have yeah. her dessert yeah yeah uh yes it's it's kind of lovely though to to set new rules, you know, um, to make your own. <laughs> uh, and 
yeah, much more satisfying than than the anorexic halo can ever be, really, uh, because it's all a pretense. You know, other people who are giving you the bestowing the halo on you, if you like, are pretending to themselves that um, that let's say losing weight or um, exerting certain levels or kind of control over food or exercise or whatever are a solution for them and probably also pretending that they care very much um, when luckily for them they don't really um, and then for you the pretense is that achieving this stuff is a solution um, and so there's there's so much so many layers of deception going on and yeah the halo is in there somewhere but it's it's pretty damn fragile yeah and i think one thing that i thought and i don't know whether this is as twisted as what we were saying about kind of oh no i'm not going to have dessert because i'm superior to you but when you are the person that has dessert everyone else is like thank god somebody else said that before me or oh you know i'm so relieved that you are having dessert because i really wanted it and now it's so nice to be able to share that with you so it's, I don't know whether that is just as bad, um, but being that person that does order the dessert, everyone kind of admires you, but then also, yes, some people would judge. I guess it would completely depend where they sit, but it's a really interesting concept that you're, that kind of the way that people perceive you could be determined as so much as to just by the food that you're eating but it, it absolutely is in society which I think is why anorexia really does latch on to that and says you know I will make you a better person by these things and people will admire you yeah but you'll also get a very different much more interesting and ultimately much more value valuable kind of admiration once you do what you just described you know get the pudding and everyone else wants some or you know then orders themselves because you just open the floodgates or whatever um and just i think to in, in so much of this i think there's such a relief in living in a way that's congruent with your values and modeling that to others and being not just another woman who doesn't do it because she doesn't feel like she should but doing the woman who goes, fuck it, I'm doing it. And mm -hmm. it's great. And maybe helping some other people either right then or later or whatever to to do it too. Um, yeah, that's, well, we're, we're meant to be sticking with more of the seductions, but this is the anti-seduction, I guess. This is mm -hmm. part of what happens when you get out. Yeah, no, I think it's great to talk about the anti-seductions as well, because if somebody's listening, thinking, yeah, all these seductions are what I'm with, uh, <laughs> where I am, then it's great to say, actually, we've realised that these seductions are not so true. Um, and it's really interesting, actually, I was having a conversation with my friend the other day, uh, who who's a coach, and she wanted to dig into my brain after a couple of glasses of Prosecco. I was like, you know what, why not? Let's see how, how what you can do. And um, we were talking about how I had this assumption that, um, you know, me being smaller, everybody thought I looked better now. And um, that kind of I was a stronger person because I was navigating this eating disorder. And she said, I wonder if you flipped that 
And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, you know, what about if everybody pities you now because you have this eating disorder? You know, what if everybody feels sorry for you because you can't get out of it? And I was just like, huh? <laughs> it's never even crossed my mind because even when, you know, you talk about recovery, people are like, oh, it's, you know, you're so brave going through recovery and things like that. I'd never even considered the fact that somebody could look upon me and think, oh, you know, I really do feel sorry for her. And that made me feel so horrifically crap because I was like, I don't want people pitying me. Like my eating disorder, as I perceived it, makes me a stronger person. You know, I'm able to navigate different things. I'm able to do this and able to do that. And it just kind of, it all came tumbling down. And I was like, actually, it's not true. You know, you're not able to navigate things because like we were saying before, your world has become so narrow. All you can do is determined and sometimes you can't even do that what you're going to eat yeah that sounds like a really powerful moment where you'd been assuming maybe admiration maybe envy maybe other good things and then yeah to be confronted with the idea that that pity might be one of the things yeah that that will do some uh, pulling out of yeah that, that's a that's a good card to be pulling out of the house of cards <laughs> yeah yeah that was a firm one at the bottom uh that kind of everything came tumbling down um so this one i want a bit more of an explanation on from you because i think it's for me it's got quite a few different meanings so anorexia is a hunger strike letting you be other than what you expected to be What's the thought behind that one? I guess this is about how if you feel really, really trapped, then even the most implausible, risky, appalling kind of escape routes can start to seem tempting. Okay. So, I mean, the hunger strike is one very literal mm -hmm. example. You know, I protest against something about the current conditions and I do so yeah. by refusing to eat. And the, the eating disorder version of that is, is that turned into a lifestyle, I guess. Um, it's saying, I want to check out of this situation in which um, I'm being treated as uh let's say a baby producing machine or in which i'm being abused in ways that seem relevant to having a um a sexual female body um or any other number of ways in which any of us uh, can get trapped by expectations that others have on us or more than expectations laws um, really substantial kinds of prison and not know how else to do it than with some striking, you know, profound kind of uh, self-harm and change of physicality. So, yeah, some of the testimony which I drew on in the blog post um, gave you know, very moving examples of um, moderately or 
very extreme versions of of this kind of attempt to find an escape through starvation. Um, but many people are doing it in ways that, in, in contexts where the thing to be escaped from may seem less obviously horrific, but nonetheless to them is um, intolerable. So yeah, this is this is the idea behind this one. It's almost like an internalized protest against something, but maybe not having, um, not being able to, or not having the words to sort of protest externally, um, or you know, not physically being able to do that, maybe because of the conditions that you were in. So then, kind of internalizing that and having that form of form of self harm to feel some sense of relief is that kind of what you're getting at yeah or to make yourself invisible for example or i mean mm -hmm. I, I think in the case of sexual abuse it, it, the idea that you can be become invisible and therefore invulnerable by uh, reducing the overt sexuality of your body is um uh you know it's it's a common route that might be taken i think it's often uh not a a useful route to take because um, because the abuse can nonetheless continue but yeah it's it, it may be that literal or as you say it may just be i can't think what else to do so let me let me change this thing and and it's not entirely internalized of course it is very um potentially at least very visible um and and certainly even if not physically visible depending on you know how body shape or weight changes or doesn't or whatever but it's certainly visible in in the withdrawal of behavioral stuff you know the fact that you no longer participate in all the things that um that eating and moving and resting normally involve you know all of that is also a um a refusal that's that's really quite uh, quite hard to miss yeah and i think like you say it's that sort of taking away all that identity maybe you know you just want to become invisible sort of thing you kind of when you have an eating disorder you do just lose all self of sense of identity um and if that's something that you know has been very difficult for you or traumatic the idea that anything sort of just comes along and sort of you i'm trying not to link i think this is where i was like um getting the two seductions maybe tangled in terms of the the last one of being the partial suicide and letting you live and i think that to me like really strongly links to this one and sort of letting you be not what you expected to be in that i found that one of the strongest seductions in that there's like a glimmer of hope for the future and so it's like there is potential that the future could be brighter whether that's a, the future with the eating disorder or a future that's recovered so you should hang on to that but right now things feel so difficult that i will take you to the kind of lowest point um and you can potentially come back from it if you want to it doesn't have to all be over now um which i think yeah is a very powerful seduction i find Mm. So you've got a kind of holding pattern until something better presents itself that you might want to actually plunge into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the eating disorder always presents that, doesn't it, in that if we do this just for a bit longer, something better will come. So often it's 
you know, if you if you keep just engaging for a little bit more, the sunshine will come, the rainbows will come. Um, but for now, let's just kind of go to that low point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's terrifying how how endless the hibernation can make itself in the end, isn't it? So you forget that actually living can be more than this. Yeah, and I think one thing I was thinking about the other day is um, people always say to you, when's it going to be enough? Like, when is what you're engaging in or when is the eating disorder going to be enough? And, you know, I don't personally have an answer, but a lot of the time people will say, you know, when I'm recognised by a doctor for being ill or when I'm taken to inpatient. But at that point, you then it that's still not enough so it's it's that i think is another i mean maybe we have covered it in the seductions but it's something that's really powerful for me is like one day you will be enough and you will be able to prove yourself but right now you're you're not doing that so just keep going and then you'll be enough but when you get to the point of kind of quote unquote being enough that you previously thought you've already got new kind of rules and things in place for yourself so you don't even recognize that you're there yeah and that relates closely to one of the underpinnings i think of this stick seduction about um partial suicide which is that the internal logic of anorexia is all tending towards killing you so having it and continuing to live with it is always already a compromise. And and I think that compromising attitude then, just like the hibernation more generally, it can so easily just become the default mode. So and then and then be a default that you also carry over into the recovery context. So, you know, going into that with the idea of compromises and well, how how little fat can I gain and how many um how healthy can I keep my macros and whatever and not understanding that or understanding but not quite being able to act on the understanding that um that keeping compromising will will never allow you to get out what did I see the other day it was something about how you can't it wasn't this, but it was something like you can't keep your toe in the water. You have to remove your whole body. Like with an eating disorder, you can't have a small bit of it. You've got to take it all out um, because otherwise those little things will just persist and they kind of can then one day become much bigger things or they can just persist for you and, and never allow you that true kind of freedom from the eating disorder. Um, but to leave us on a positive, <laughs> um, assuming this has happened for you, and this is me making an assumption, so please tell me if I'm wrong. How did you realise that the seductions weren't true? If you did. Or maybe they, they were true, but they weren't as black and white as the eating disorder was saying they were. I realised it by starting to act as if I didn't believe it. And I think if I'd waited 
to stop believing in them before taking the action that contradicted them, I'd still be ill. I think almost always you've just got to dive in or at least put the toe in, or that's the wrong way around from how you use the water metaphor. But, um, <laughs> you've got to do it with, with some action that will shake something up. And for me, it was having breakfast as soon as I got up and realizing that didn't make everything come crashing down. It tasted amazing. I wanted loads more of it. That was terrifying, but nonetheless, already then many, many beliefs about how my day had to proceed were demolished just in that five minutes of eating a pastry. And so, you know, you let, a, you can just get a little crack into the, into the edifice like that. Then you can start to, yeah, well, to mix metaphors, do lots of quite powerful unraveling. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose then, then it was a long burn before all of these seductions. I mean, I'm not sure I was subject to all of them, but the ones that had got me properly, yeah, it took, it took a long time to, to really come out of their thrall, but, um, it crucially again, it, it was by virtue of performing the actions that were incompatible with them, not, you know, starting with, let me demolish these on paper and then get on with performing the corresponding actions. And I, I think it's pretty much always that way, that way around. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a wonderful kind of potential in, in that demolition work. I mean, it's, it's really, a really, the profound opportunity that you get in recovery from an eating disorder to really rebuild many elements of your identity from the ground up. And I think lots of people don't go into recovery thinking it's going to be like that. And maybe that's as well, because that's, it is terrifying. But once you're doing it properly, I think it becomes clearer and clearer that You've got so many options now about all these things that, again, you, you had the blinkers up against. And that's, you know, everything from what you do when you wake up in the morning to how you behave in a restaurant and all the rest, you know. So, um, yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a, well, scary positive, but nonetheless a positive to hold on to is um, just what what liberation there is in in rejecting the old stuff and letting other stuff flow in. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting and important point that you said about kind of you almost have to action what you don't believe before you believe it. Because at the moment you're probably not going to, but going against what it's telling you is pretty much the best way out of it. Uh, which can be really difficult but also what you were saying about rebuilding that identity that's something that I actually spoke about in my therapy a couple of weeks ago and because my therapist was like oh my god it's actually really exciting like most people have already done this and they know what they like and I have kind of experienced a lot of things 
things that I could be like, oh, I'm going to pick and choose that. Like, that's the person I want to be or like, that's the hobby that I want to be interested in. So, you know, you're getting like a, a rerun, um, which is, you know, you've got to take some positive from it. So actually, that's really exciting to think, who could I be? Like, who do I think is really cool? And, and all of that. And what stuff do I want to engage in? So, yeah, see it as a positive that that self-development is your your new journey your new challenge however you want to see it um but emily thank you so much for all of that i think it was it was really refreshing to sort of go into the seductions and think about them you know why are people seduced by it rather than just being like you know it's all wrong because ultimately people do feel it and i think it's 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 validating to know that you're not the only person feeling it but also validating to think yeah maybe that's not quite right and maybe I am being a bit um misled there so I'm sure other people want to hear more of the work that you're doing where can they go to find more of um, of the writing and all the stuff that you've been doing oh you can google my name if you can remember it which probably you can't or <laughs> you can uh, look for Emily and Hunger Artist uh, so Hunger Artist is the name of both my a website where I collect eating disorder related things and also the blog which I write for Psychology Today. So yeah, some combination of, well, probably, I don't know whether Emily plus anorexia, that probably isn't enough, but uh, <laughs> I should do it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Well, I'll put all the details for that in the show notes as well so that people can copy that over. But it has been a real pleasure. And yeah, thank you so much for all your insight. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.